Good morning, Hillside Church. I miss each of you, and I'm reminded of that as I was studying the scriptures for this week. You'll see why in a minute, but for now, why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. As a church, we've just finished learning from a different letter from Paul to the church at Philippi, and it was full of this language of running a race. Now, of course, Paul was in the Mediterranean when he wrote that. So if you think it's being hot in Coquitlam, just imagine running a race in southern Italy. Now, of course, this was just a picture, but I like to imagine seeing Paul just all covered in sweat at a finish line with deep inhales and exhales and that expression on his face that only runners seem to have, that mix between a painful grimace and just pure joy. He's run hard, and he's made it. And I hope you remember why Paul painted this picture. The prize at the finish line is Jesus, or even more specifically, being like him and being eternally with him. And Paul, reaching his prize, running for Jesus, well, that was the most valuable pursuit of his life. Well, our next plan of action this summer is to think about our behavior on that race. We want to finish well like Paul urged us to. And I hope that we want to be overcome with the kind of love for Christ that makes him our everything, that makes him our goal, the reason that we run. But what does life on the racetrack look like? It's no surprise that many of you who run races sign up in pairs or in groups. There's something about togetherness as we chase after something. But it's not just about being together, is it? It's about being together well. Because while it will be pretty tough to run this thing on our own, it doesn't do much good if we don't actually want the others who are running to succeed. It doesn't do us very well if they're cutting us off or pushing us down or knocking the cup of water out of our hands. Just take a minute and think of how discouraging and despairing that kind of race would be. So in order to run together well, we're looking at some of the one another statements in the Bible. Last week, Simon showed us how Christ helps us to accept one another. This week, we're going to look together at how we encourage one another. So let's read from Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. And if you're willing and able, please stand in honor of God's word this morning. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, <clears throat> and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, 
if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so, Father, uh, we come to your word this morning, and we, we want it to be our teacher, because we want you to be our teacher. We want to follow you. We want to run well after you. So would you teach us what this means? Lord, may our hearts listen to how you want to guide us, and may we be a community that really reflects you well, so that the world, by looking at us, would know something about your goodness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you're welcome to take a seat. Uh, as we read that, did you recognize anything? You might have recognized some of that language in the passage because it was quoting the psalm that Kayla and Ari actually read earlier in this service. Your Bible may have put special indents just to let you know that, you know, just in case you haven't memorized the Old Testament yet. In any case, uh, it may not have felt like the go-to passage about encouragement, hey? At least not until the end bit. But in order to know anything in the Bible, in order to know what anything in the Bible means, we need to figure out what it meant to the people who first heard it. We need to read it in context. Right at the end, the listeners are told to encourage one another for a reason. Because of the fact that humans, time and time again, tend to make the same mistakes. So the writer here quotes this psalm, Psalm 95, and says, Look, let me remind you of a story. The Israelites, your ancestors, were slaves in Egypt. They were captive under a cruel king, and they were crying out for help. And God, through a series of miraculous interventions, freed them. He walked them on dry ground through the Red Sea. He then fed them with supernatural bread to sustain them day to day. And he told them that they were on their way to a land of rest, the ultimate resting day, a Sabbath. And after all of that, the people put God to the test. They put him on trial. When faced with uncertainty, they threw their hands in the air and said, where is God anyway? He can't be here among us. Instead, they over and over again kept deciding to abandon the faithful God for other things, for pleasure, convenience, wealth, social status, and their own pride. And so God, because of his unimaginable love for his people, demonstrated his perfect wrath toward them, and they did not enter his rest. Now, you listeners, our writer says, don't procrastinate. If you hear God's voice today, listen to it. Don't be in a pattern of turning away from him because you don't know what the future holds. You might make yourself so calloused and hardened that one day you'll stop choosing to ignore him and just might not hear his voice anymore. And the rest that you'd be giving up is so much greater than the Canaan that the Israelites gave up. This is eternity with Jesus. If it was possible for those people who had seen these amazing things, it, it could happen to you too. The writer brings our community out onto the racetrack with us. Guys, they say, together, let's work to make sure this doesn't happen. Let's help each other make it to the end. It would be terrible if we got so caught up in our own sin that we didn't make it to the finish line. Okay, grab your Bibles now and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to hear what Paul says. Now, in our Hebrews passage, the writer was warning us against taking the future for granted. 
today if you hear his voice. You don't know what the future holds, and you don't know what your heart is going to become, even tomorrow. Don't risk it. Today, make this choice. Well, the church in Thessalonica was the opposite place. They were in a moment where perhaps it felt like the world was about to end every day, maybe like 2020 for some of you. So to them, Paul writes in chapter 5, starting at verse 1, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains coming upon a pregnant woman, and they won't escape. But you're not in darkness for that day to be able to surprise you like a thief in the night. For you are all children of light, children of the day, We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let's not sleep as others do, but let's keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that Whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So in Hebrews, it was encourage one another so you don't procrastinate listening to God's voice. Here, it's encourage one another so that you stay awake and sober in the daylight. That way, you won't be surprised when Jesus returns because you'll be the kind of people together who notice what God is up to. In both cases, encourage one another, keeping our eyes on the prize. Now, keeping our eyes on the prize will be a useless endeavor if you don't find value in the prize. If you look toward Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, who's standing at the finish line, and you could take or leave him, you will not make it to the end. Whatever you're running the race for, If it's not for Christ, it will be a race that ends in death. Perhaps you look at the finish line and and you look past Jesus at eternal life and friends who have died, the absence of pain and suffering, and Jesus is just kind of in the way, on your way to those things. You'll also not make it. Jesus is the ultimate goal, the reason to run. Does that mean we always feel that desire? I don't always feel that. I have destination amnesia, and my heart is easily distracted by shiny things. But this is why we need co-runners, and why we need the Holy Spirit who actually renews our affections for him. If you've never loved Jesus, if you've never followed him or viewed him as the prize, that's your first step. Keep listening, but I'd invite you to consider what making him your life's prize would look like. If there's someone around you who loves Jesus, ask them what it looks like to do that, to follow him, to view him as the prize. Or contact me or one of the other pastors here, and we'd love to talk with you about him. Now, from our text, 
we read that we need to encourage one another so that we achieve the prize, we find joy in growth, and that we demonstrate Christ. Those are kind of the three big themes that we're just going to talk through quickly here. So the first, we need to be encouraging one another so we achieve the prize. If we view Christ as the prize, we are going to need help to get there. The expectation of Scripture is that we're noticing sinful behavior in our friends and calling them out on it, calling out the ways that they're out of line with what the Bible calls us to. Now, that sounds pretty judgy, and we don't like that here on the Pacific Coast, but we can't ignore that God calls us to a standard because he knows that that's the only way we'll be able to run. Your running coach may sound all judgy when she tells you to not down a Big Mac in the registration line of the sun run, but she's actually trying to help you run that race well. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield says that when we try to be more merciful than God is, we put a millstone around the neck of the person that we're trying to help. The Bible says that the main way we know we're Christians is by looking at our lives and seeing if they've been changed by Jesus. I've heard it said that because of this, we should give our Christian friends hunting licenses to confront us when we're not living the way that we should. This also means that sometimes we need to put on the coach's hat and be the one to do the hard thing of confronting our friend for the ways that they might be ignoring God's voice. Because we know that our friends, because they've told us that they want to make it to the finish line. And we'd be a terrible friend if we worried more about the potential awkward conflict than about their eternal rest with God. So we'll need to be able to handle criticism well. I think a helpful framework for this is just to do three things. Expect it, examine it, and endure it. Uh, we expect it because, honestly, if we really know our hearts, if I know my heart, I should probably be being criticized more often than I am right now. And if we're expecting criticism, it'll actually make it easier for our friends who might really hate to bring it up. Uh, Jason Ballard did a great talk on this when he talked about friendship a couple weeks back, so I'd encourage you to take a listen to that. Um, but when we're ex after we've received this criticism, I'd say the next thing is do, we should examine it. Um, our instinct is to defend ourselves or attack our friend and tell them about their stuff. Because, you know, if they have stuff, then that means they have no right to criticize us. Log in your own eye or something like that. But that's not the way of growth. No matter where it comes from, we should be willing to believe that a criticism might be true. It's worthwhile praying about and asking God to help you in. It's also good to ask some close Christian friends to weigh in on it. Okay, well, then we endure it. And that sounds harsh, but honestly, I think endurance is the best word for what it feels like to be criticized sometimes. It means that we receive it without being bitter, without returning the favor. After someone has done the hard thing of telling you something that they see, it's actually a mark of maturity to maybe give them a hug, say thank you, and let them know you're grateful they loved you enough to do that. When we live this way in community, we help each other stay awake, alert, and sober. 
so we can pay attention to what God is doing so that today we will continue to hear his voice and be reminded to listen to it. In this way, we help one another to not miss the prize. Great. But I can hear you say, Kevin, it's clear you definitely got your nose mixed up. This is supposed to be a message on encouragement, and this has been kind of discouraging. Criticizing? Making sure a race doesn't end in death? Oof. And I hear you. And this is why we're not going to stop here. But if we want to do encouragement well, it's critical that we have the first part in our minds. Sometimes in our use of the word encourage, we might lose sight of its meaning. For the biblical authors of these verses, they used a word that meant something like calling alongside. The idea, kind of like the picture of our running race, of being beside someone and helping them to move forward. I used to work as a landscaper, and so I had this pickup truck that I'd drive around with a trailer and a lawn tractor, and I'd go and cut the grass in the, the city, that will be in Chilliwack. And uh, the trailer, there's, I think a picture is going to come up here, and uh, on the back it had two ramps that went down the back, and on the side there was a ramp for the push mower that went off the right side of the trailer. Uh, this was a great learning experience for me. Uh, I was young, and before this, I'd never backed up a trailer or learned how to take wide corners, and it was great. It was a lot of pressure, but uh, I enjoyed doing it. The trailer had actually been well used, though, before I got to it, and despite the fact that we did safety checks and all that, there was a tiny weld which was quietly giving way. When I say quietly, I mean I had no idea that this weld was very weak uh, until one day when I was driving the trailer back down from Cultus Lake, uh, and I was going across this narrow bridge. And right on the other side of this narrow bridge, on my side, on the right-hand side, there was a Cultus Lake park board truck parked right on the side of the road. And as my trailer jostled over the uneven seams of the bridge, the weld broke loose, and the ramp swung out. It hung on only by a loose bungee cord, and it leaned out just enough to smoke the big double tall mirror, clean off the, tr the truck, and it went 20 feet up the road. The lady, who'd been told by her boss to not park on the side of the road, was not impressed. I wasn't impressed. Our welder wasn't impressed. It could have been a lot worse, and I'm really glad that it wasn't. But why do I tell you this? Well, I think sometimes we're very, very good at the criticizing part of encouragement and not very good at the actual building up of people. To be sure, we're coming alongside, but we're not actually getting them any closer to the goal. Rather than coming alongside to motivate people to finish, traveling with them, we're kind of like my dangerous ramp-wielding pickup, just knocking off pieces of our friends and neighbors as we fly past them. We'd be in trouble for sure if we spent all our time and effort purely avoiding sin. It's important for us to keep an eye out for tripping hazards on the path, and we need to pay attention to route marking signs, but simply looking at the places we can go wrong will not get us to the prize. But it's so easy to do. It's way easier to give criticism and to see the flaws in those people close to us, because of course they have them. We all have them. 
But if we just do the easy half of the task, if we aim for the 51% and move on, we don't pass the course. We will actually crush those that we love. So let's look at scripture. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul asks us to build one another up. And this, friends, this is our task. If we want to successfully run the race, we need to be coaches that not only tell our friends what not to do, but let them know what they are doing well. To tell them, hey, you just passed mile 24. Man, you just did 10 reps. Last week, you maxed out at eight. Hey, you used to be so impatient, but I saw you spend 40 minutes listening to that person tell you every detail of their week. Well done. Ephesians chapter four tells us to not let any corrupting talk come out of your mouths, the things that break down, but only such things as are good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace, that it would actually be a gift to those who hear. This is part of the kind of calling alongside encouragement we're in the business of. So how do we do this? Well, I've got a couple suggestions for how we can get started. The first is to point out visible fruit. This requires long-term friendships. You need to be there to be there. Many of you know that simply having people present in your life is on its own already a form of encouragement. That's one reason that we're a church, a group of people following Jesus who are committed to one another. We're told that the fruit of the Spirit growing in us is how we know that we're healthy Christians. And fruit takes time to grow. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control all together are evidence that God is working in us. Paul tells the Thessalonians in chapter 1 that the church became imitators of the Lord and became an example. The church in Thessalonica had a family resemblance with God. And importantly, Paul points this out to them. He lets them know we need to be doing the same thing for those people that we love. If you're like me, it can be hard to feel like you've done any growing because all we see is ourselves every day. And so often we don't notice ourselves becoming more like Jesus. We need people to let us know. So start by praying for people around you and ask God to help you notice the fruit that he's growing in them. And when you see it, tell them. Second piece, encourage them with details, details that show you're invested, that you love them. Because encouraging one another is more than just flattery. It's actually not about complimenting people, but about building them up. And sometimes it's really, really helpful to be specific. It's pretty easy to use words cheaply, but when you speak intentionally, you show that you're paying attention and that you're actually invested in this person's race to the finish line. Here's an example. It's really special for those of us who preach to hear, great job, if, you know, if, if it's true. <laughs> but for myself, that doesn't actually help me grow as much as it does when someone has been specific. There are some of you who have really helped me grow and learn by sharing 
with me what I said that was actually helpful. Or even, hey, I thought that one point was interesting. Could you help me see how you got to it? You've helped me want to learn. Those things really help me grow, help me be built up. Now, saying that, even mentioning those hypothetical encouragements made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Even just imagining that you might encourage me makes me worry that I'm coming across as arrogant. I don't think I'm the only one who worries about this either. But this mindset has a couple of effects. The first is that we can react really poorly to encouragement. I don't know about you, but I've often responded to encouragement by getting all red and kind of shrugging and looking at the ground and then fighting you on what you said. Nah, I actually didn't do as well as I could have. I was off key. Or even, silly you, don't encourage me. The glory goes to God. And while all of those could and sometimes should certainly be true, I'm more concerned about coming across as humble than I am in letting you help me grow. Some of you might feel like nobody encourages you, and that's because you're not a good encouragement receiver. You might act super awkward, roll your eyes, or like me, fight the person, and you just become not a great person to encourage. So here's a tip. Start by just smiling and saying, thank you. And then stop, that's all you say. The second effect of that type of mindset, though, of that uncomfortableness, is that we think the other person who we might want to encourage is just as worried as we are about keeping this chill, humble, Canadian persona. And so we just assume that it would be too awkward to say anything. And that's robbing someone from growth and from joy. Uh, a Washington, D.C. pastor just tweeted the other day, don't hold back an encouraging word out of concern for a person's ego or preface your glowing praise with a counterbalancing reminder of their flawedness. Just encourage. Encourage people like they're desperately in need of it because most are. When you encourage someone by pointing out good fruit in their lives and point out specifics, you are taking a risk. Someone might react super awkwardly, and it would be way easier to just flatter them or give them a less intense or less personal encouragement. And this is where the goal matters. We spent all this time talking about the goal. I haven't forgotten about it. The goal matters here. You won't take the risk unless you believe that encouragement will actually help someone toward the goal of getting to know Christ. It is really vulnerable to do this. Our ego, our pride, and our insecurity will stand directly in the way of it. But it's worth it because of the prize. And ultimately, that's the final and kind of main way that we encourage one another. This is the third kind of takeaway to, to go with. We remind each other of the story that we're a part of. Everything in this world is marketing us a picture of the good life. And what we need most are people alongside of us, pushing us toward the finish line and reminding us of the finish line. Otherwise, we'll forget our priorities. We'll forget what we're doing. When we point out things that remind us of the race, hey, 
great form. That was a good hustle up that hill. We run better. There's some research that says that when we're reminded of our potential, of our goal, we actually start believing that that potential is a bit more possible. It raises the bar at the same time as it makes us believe that we can reach it. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us as Christians because the Bible tells us over and over again that because God has loved us, he's given us a new identity. And it's this idea that because we're new in Christ, we're becoming like him. But we need to be reminded of that new identity. Here's some homework for you. I know, groan. But I want you to read this letter to the Thessalonians this week. It takes the average person 12 minutes. In this letter, Paul tells the Thessalonians to encourage one another. We read that. But the letter itself is like a master class in encouragement. It's full of deep affection for the people in his church. And all throughout, he tells them things like, hey, I really don't even need to write you about this because you're already so good at it. Hey, love one another like you already do. He's pointing out the transforming work of Jesus in each of them, pointing out the fruit. So, little side, this message isn't here because we are terrible at encouragement. So many of you are incredible encouragers. Keep it up. We're in a world that will constantly push us to look at ourselves and to forget to encourage. And so I'm here to challenge you to encourage one another, to come alongside, to call alongside and walk to run to the end of the race. It's going to be awkward, both to receive and to give encouragement. So have grace with each other as we do this and as we push on towards the goal in Christ Jesus. Now, at the very beginning, I said there's three reasons to encourage. I give you three ways, but there's three general reasons. And if you've been counting, I've only listed two. And the third is this. Scripture gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has been given the title encourager. Of the ultimate one who calls alongside So when we encourage one another, we actually show the watching world a glimpse of the God that we serve, the God that encourages. We bear his family resemblance. God has given us not only the gift of our friends and the church, but he's given us the gift of his very self, of his presence. Because of that, we are never alone on our race. Like the children of Israel, God is also among us and doing mighty things. Because we were slaves in sin, captive under a cruel king, and we're crying out for help. And God, through a series of miraculous interventions, namely the death and resurrection of Christ, freed us. As our encourager, he walks us on safe ground through dark valleys. He feeds us with supernatural bread to sustain us day to day. And he has promised that we are on our way to an eternal rest, the ultimate resting day. So let us therefore encourage one another as the Holy Spirit encourages us so that today, if we hear his voice, we may listen to him and therefore enter that rest and achieve the prize that is Christ. Let me pray for us today.
Father, thank you so much that you have become such a valuable price. Lord, that the goal of reaching you is actually worthwhile, that it is worth everything in our lives. We need your help to remember that. Lord, we need the encouragement of our friends and neighbors. So Lord, as a community, I pray that we would be like you, uh, that we would be like Paul who followed in your footsteps, that we would be like those in our community who are following in Paul's and your footsteps, and that we would just be good encouragers. Lord, that when we notice something in our brother or sister that is worth commending, that is worth celebrating, that we would actually do so. So help us to have eyes that see people the way that you do, um, that we might spur one another on, building one another up in ways that only you can help us do, so that together, Lord, we might win the prize of being with you. Lord, thank you for all that you have done, and I uh, thank you that it's not on our own steam that we race towards you, uh, but that you also run alongside of us. So Father, in all of these things, uh, we thank you, and we plead them and pray them and by the power of Jesus' name. Amen.